rising from the barracks where the Royal Guard still hold out the view of the Kuwait city just before 10 on the second floor. When someone takes an AK-47 and put it to your chest and cock it, you know that you're only one pull of a trigger away. Some people would say that my parents weren't very responsible parents for taking me to Kuwait where the Persian Gulf War broke out. Some people would say that's irresponsible to take your kids with you into your calling where there's so much suffering. But rather than it taking me further from God, it actually helped take me closer to God. Because one of the things I learned in an early age, God actually calls the people of God to move towards the hardest places of this earth. Nobody knew anything about Kuwait. It was just this little dot on this map in the Middle East. But three months later on August 2nd, 1990, Saddam Hussein and Iraqi troops invaded Kuwait and we were living right downtown. There were four sets of Iraqi troops that broke into our apartment. And as a 10 year old, I just began like crying. And I didn't actually know if I was gonna live. I didn't know if we were actually gonna even make it through that day. We knew we had to leave quickly. Uh, I was held downstairs by gunpoint, but when I came back up the steps and we all jumped in a car and drove out of downtown, and there were Iraqi soldiers all around us, and we drove right through the middle of them as if God blinded them. And then we all gather into the American embassy. Within a few days, the embassy got locked down. They eventually turn off the water, the fresh water, and the and electricity to get us out. Heat was 120 degrees, no air conditioning. But the hardest part, I think, came six weeks later when uh, Laurie and uh, Peter and Aaron left the embassy and I turned them over to Iraqi soldiers to take to, to the airport. Um, those are our hard moments, even this minute, 30 years later. Because I want to live out God's call. And part of that living out that call is being connected to God's spirit and what is God asking you to do? And is he big enough to take care of you? Or do you think you have to do it all yourself? That is the struggle of following God and then turn to God, God, if my life is taken, are you gonna take care of the boys? Are you gonna take care of the wife? Can I trust you? What was going on in the background of the story that I didn't know was thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands people were praying for me personally. My mom, my brother and I now were back in Nashville living and it was coming up for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention puts together a week of prayer leading into this big offering every December. And there were literally millions of Christians all throughout the country that were praying specifically for my dad to be released. And it really wasn't real to me until I got on the plane in Baghdad that I was actually going to leave and survive and be home. It's not about me. It's about the millions of people praying and God doing a miraculous uh, event. I believe that God is looking for people who are willing to move towards the hard places and stay even when it's hard and trust that the Holy Spirit still speaks and confirms His promises in our lives.
It is a privilege that we have a part. We have the, that we can be a part of what God is doing around the world. Amen. And that the gifts and tithes that we give during this time to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, they go specifically for our missionaries that are on the international fields. And so not only would you commit to pray, but we're asking our church family to commit to give as well. Our goal this year, 23,000, 23 and 23. We'd love to be able to meet that. You have the ability. There's some cards in the back of your chairs that you can do. You can give online. But we just want to challenge you guys as a church family to be a part of what God is doing around the world, not just here, but everywhere. Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And we are very thankful um, for that privilege. Good morning, church family. How are you today? It's a good week. It's a good week. It's a difficult week. Lots of things going on in and around us. If you're involved in music or media ministry, if you work cameras, if you work in the back, if you're involved in what takes place on stage, will you stand just for a moment? I'd like to recognize some of you. I know that there are... Yes. We truly are thankful for you and for you sharing your gifts and talents. Uh, Brian, we are blessed people, aren't we? We're very thankful for you. Uh, you have no earthly idea the talent that this church family has, and we are sincerely grateful for you sharing that talent. Um, men, sign up. Ladies, sign up. get your men signed up for the men's retreat. You want a better man? Send him to the men's retreat, okay? There's a lot of men that just got signed up, I think. So uh, uh, I know that there was a, a barrage of people that were signing men that were signing up last week throughout the week. And we want to make sure that we've got plenty of space. Coming up after that is the women's retreat. And women, you'll have an opportunity to sign up. But men artists is coming up here uh, at the beginning of February. And we're just trying to, to make sure that we fill our spots. I'm not sure how many spots that we have. But I think this year we may be limited because of the spacing and the numbers. And so make sure that you do get signed up. Which, which I have to say this. I noticed, and Brian noticed, that there were many of you in these rooms who had not, did not raise your hand for signing up. And it may be that you're going to be with family and things of such, completely understand that. But I have to let you know that our spacing is limited. I want you to know that. I need you to get signed up. If we need to add something and we need to figure something out, I want us to be able to provide as much space as possible for our people. Don't, we are going to be checking you at the door. Some of you are asking how we're going to check you. You're going to be checked at the door. We'll know for those of you that are signed up, and we only have so many extra spaces after that. We don't want to limit anybody from coming. We just want to be able to provide the space. And so please um, help us out get signed up. If we can squeeze in, we're going to squeeze in as much as we can but we want to be good stewards of the resources that God has given us in the time. And it is a great time for us to be together as a church family. I'm sorry we have to do that, but we don't have a sanctuary that seats 2,500 people. And so this is what we've chosen to do instead. Which brings me to mind, I will have some information for you next week, not this week, but next week on some changes that are happening. And I think you may smile as a result of it. Amen? Yeah. You didn't say amen. That wasn't like a loud amen, but it was an amen. 
How about turning to the book of Matthew? Will you do that with me this morning? Matthew chapter 2. And uh, while you are turning to Matthew chapter 2, I have the privilege of having lots of conversations with people. Conversations sometimes that include the word, I used to. Have you ever heard that? Well, I used to. And a lot of times those, that phrase, I used to, has something to do with a, with a person's relationship with Christ, their attendance to church. I will hear things like, well, I used to go to church. Or I used to believe, or I used to, and if I'll spend some time and I'll dig around for a little bit and I'll try to unearth some things, it doesn't take me long um, to find out that somewhere in that person's past, many times there's something that's happened, something that's taken place. There was something that took place that, that caused them to become discouraged or maybe even disillusioned and even sometimes walk away from the faith that they once professed. Are you with me? Anybody know anybody like, like that? And it wouldn't surprise me if there were some of, that were listening to me this morning, maybe in this room or, or online, that maybe your story is somewhat similar to that. But regardless of where we find ourselves at today, for those of us that are believers, I think it's really important for us to be able to go back, to go back and remember the time when we proclaim Christ as Lord, okay? So if you're a believer today, what I want you to do just for a second, I want you to go back to that place, and I want you to think back to that time that you said, yes, Jesus, I believe. I, I want to follow you. I'm, I'm all in. So I want you to I want you to go back to that moment. Jesus, I trust you. Can you do that just for a second? Just, just reflect. For those of us that are believers in the room, to go back to that moment in time when you said, Jesus, I trust you. And as you look back and as you think and as you consider and you remember, I want you to, I want you to have that sense of awe. Do you, do you remember what it was like when you said yes? Do you, do you remember what it was, was like? Do you remember the sense of God's love? Do you remember the majesty and the awe of standing before a holy God, recognizing your sin and recognizing that God embraced you in spite of that and that he went the distance to send his son, Jesus, who we celebrate this time of year for his birth, that he went the distance to send him who would give his life as a sacrifice for us. And when we do that, it's, it sort of reminds us, it helps us recognize that the words that John would pen in the gospel, in his gospel, was true. That in him was life. That in Jesus was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And that regardless of whatever circumstance we might face or situation that we might have to deal with, that at that moment, we could understand that we weren't hopeless, but we were hopeful. Amen? And so having said that, the Christmas story is full of different characters, Wayne. We can, we can, there's numerous characters that we could focus on today, but I want to focus on the life of one who is, who is not, you wouldn't think so much about, especially in the storyline, but he's there, and his name is Herod. And even though Herod didn't publicly identify himself as a Jew, he wasn't, nor did he observe the Jewish law. But he sided with Rome. He was a friend of Rome, and because of that relationship, he was placed into a leadership position. And he was given the title King of the Jews. And he was given the responsibility for conquering and overseeing Judea. And Herod would have been known as a, a client king. That word client, uh, it means an ally or a friend. 
And that's exactly what he was to Rome. He was committed to Rome. And even though Herod had the support of Rome, he didn't have the support of the Jews, the people that he was supposed to be leading. And it was during that time of his reign that Jesus would be born. And Herod was a really important figure in that time frame for many reasons. And I'd like to share some of those with you in a minute. Before I, but before I do that, what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you a little background. Can I do that? So here's a little background, something that might help you out. There was another guy that lived there in that time. His name was Gaius Octavius. You may know him by another name. His name was Caesar Augustus. He had an uncle. He had an uncle who wasn't just his uncle. It was also his adopted father. It was a man by the name of Julius Caesar. Does that ring a bell? In 42 BC, Julius Caesar was deified by the Senate, which led which led Caesar Augustus to eventually be known, could be known as the son of God. Don't miss that. Don't miss that part. Julius Caesar was eventually assassinated. His life was taken. And now his adopted son, the one who had planned to be his successor, Caesar Augustus and his dad's ally, a man by the name of Mark Anthony, maybe you know that name, they went to avenge Julius Caesar's death. As time passed, tensions rose, and there could only be one head cheese in Rome. There was a little bit of tension going on between Caesar Augustus, tensions going on between Mark Anthony, and they both began to develop their own support groups. That's where Herod enters in the story. So Herod decided who he would support, and Herod said he gave the thumbs up to Mark Anthony and his wife Cleopatra, maybe you know that name, who happened to be tied into Julius Caesar at one time. Well, Mark Anthony would eventually lose. He would take his own life. Cleopatra would supposedly take her own life. And it wasn't long after that that Caesar Augustus would become the first emperor of Rome, a very powerful, powerful man. And so here is Herod trying to figure out, now what is he going to do? Because the guy that he supported had lost, which put him in a really difficult position. Because he had to decide what he was going to do and how he was going to respond. And so from an outsider's view, perspective, there was only a couple of things that he could do. Number one, run, flee, but they would eventually catch up with him and kill him, okay? Number two, he could just hunker down and try to fight, but that was going to be a losing effort. Or three, he could take his own life. But Herod didn't decide to do any one of those three things, but he made another decision, which was pretty interesting. Instead of running from Caesar Augustus, he ran to Caesar Augustus. He ran to him and found him on an island called Rhodes. And it was there that he would set up and develop a meeting. He would almost like knock on the door. Hey, I want to speak to Caesar. <laughs> a dangerous thought. It'd be like walking up to the presidency, to the White House, and knocking on the door and say, hey, I need to see the big dog. He had a meeting. Caesar knew exactly who he was, knew exactly who he supported. And so here you have Herod standing before Caesar, knowing that he had supported his opposition. And Herod, standing there before Caesar, said something along this line. I know that, I know that you know that I was a friend of your opposition, Mark Anthony. And you know that I was a loyal friend until the end, until until now, Mark Anthony is dead. Now that he's dead, I'm pledging my loyalty to you. And just as I've been loyal to him, I will now be loyal to you. I pledge my allegiance to you, Caesar. 
And instead of killing Herod, what Caesar Augustus did, he said, man, I'm pretty impressed with you, God. And so what he, what he ended up doing was he didn't take Judea from him. He didn't take his position from him, but he expanded his territory and he sent him back home. So that's King Herod, a pretty smart guy, we would think, right? And in some extents he was, but he was also made some pretty poor decisions in his lifetime, especially as it relates to his family. His family life was horrendous. Yet this is a man who had tremendous amounts of power and was committed to growing his kingdom. And I emphasize his kingdom. Everybody was fearful of him. This guy was ruthless and he would do anything to maintain control, even killing members of his family like his mother-in-law. A wife or two, children, rabbis, Anybody that got in his way that threatened him, he would have their life taken. And it's about this time in the story where Herod's health began to deteriorate. He's about 70 years old. He was sickly. He's trying to maintain control when word comes. There's a baby been born. There's a baby been born. There's a new king. His name is Jesus. King of the Jews. And this is where we pick up the story in Matthew. Matthew chapter 2. And I read for you this morning, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod about the time some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking. And so you got these guys wandering around. You can tell, listen, have you ever been in a place when, you, when you're sort of an outsider? I remember being in Montana one time, and, and me and this guy, we were doing a revival in this small little town, little bitty town in Montana, out in the middle of nowhere. And we walked into a town, and we sat down at this, I guess you could call it a restaurant, whatever it was. There was only us, and there were four other guys at a table. And all of them had these big hats on. Big, I guess you call them a 10-gallon hat. It looked like a 20-gallon hat because they were big. <laughs> And we were having our little meal, whatever it was, and one of the guys got up from the table and he came over and he said, you boys ain't from around here, are you? <laughs> I mean, it was pretty obvious. Here are these guys wandering around Jerusalem. And, and so, <laughs> so, so here's, here's, they're asking a question. And here was the question in verse 2. Where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we come to worship him. And King Herod was deeply disturbed. You might want to circle that. He was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Let me tell you something. When Herod was upset, it's like when mama. When mama's upset, everybody's upset. When Herod's upset, when Herod's disturbed, everybody goes to hiding because there was no telling who might lose their life. He was a loose cannon. There was no telling how he might retaliate because he held very high his position. And here's Herod thinking, maybe my legacy is in jeopardy. And Matthew goes on to say in verse 4 that he called a meeting of the leading priest and the teachers of the religious law. That's not a phone call that you'd want to get. Hey, can you come down to the house? I want to have a meeting with you. So here they are. They knowing the history, not only of Herod, they know the history of Israel. And he calls this group of teachers together, this priest together, and he asks them the question, okay, guys, where is this the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, because it says, this is what the prophet wrote. 
And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And so here they are, the leaders, uh, the religious leaders and the teachers of the law, going back to the Old Testament to pull out a prophecy that had been written by the prophet Micah some 700 years earlier. 700 years earlier. Needless to say, Herod was not a happy camper. Look at what he goes on. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. So he goes from meeting with the religious leaders and the teachers of the law. Now he goes after the wise men to call a meeting with them. And he begins to ask some questions. And he said this, and he learned from them when the star first appeared. And then he told them, listen, guys, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go on to Bethlehem, and I want you to search carefully for the child. And when you find him... I want you to come back and tell me so that I can worship, I can worship him too. And so if you can picture what's going on, all right, guys, listen, here it is. I want you guys to go and I want you to find the Messiah. And if you need anything, I want you to let me know. By the way, here's my credit card. Why don't you stop by Starbucks and just have a latte on me while you're out? When you happen to find him, though, this is what I want you to do. I want you to come back to me. I want you to tell me what you discovered because I want to be able to celebrate as well. And it says in verse 9 that after the interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to the place called Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And here's that song, When They Saw the Star. They were filled with joy. They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother. House is important because you remember, we're not talking about a manger scene now. We're talking about a couple of years later. Now it's a house. Now Mary and Joseph are there in a house. And it says they saw this child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Underline that word, worship. A lot of times when we think about the word worship, we think automatically about singing. Matthew didn't say anything about they sang. But what he says is that they bowed down and they worshiped him. They bowed down. Here they were in the presence of the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ child. They were in awe. They were overwhelmed. It was like, wow. Oh my goodness. Or as my friend would say, backwards wow. Some of you will figure that out after. Wow, W-O-W, backwards wow, W-O-W, just so you don't get lost. Explain it to your husbands, wives. And at that moment in time, there was nothing else that mattered. See, they weren't thinking about what was for supper. They weren't thinking about where they were going to stay. That wasn't it at all. But here they were. Here they were in the presence of Jesus and nothing else matters. Now tradition tells us there were three wise men, but historically we don't know how many there were. We know that there were three gifts. We know that they had traveled a great distance to find this child and now here they were in the presence of the one that they had been searching for. And they dropped to their knees and they worshipped. And yet not far away, here was Herod sitting in his recliner with his cell phone 
waiting on the wise men to call, fearful of being in, being out of control. He was fearful of not being in control, fearful of losing his position. Herod was a little anxious. Herod was a little fearful. You ever found yourself in that position? You ever found yourself when you were a little bit uptight about what was going on around you? Have you ever found yourself a little bit fearful about what was taking place in your life at that moment in time? And I guess we could say there's a lot of Herod inside of us, isn't there? And what I'm referring to, um, what I'm referring to is this. We don't mind certain things as long as it doesn't cost us anything. I don't mind taking back seat as long as I get what I Want. I don't mind having to do something as long as I benefit somewhere along the way, as long as it gets me to where I want to go. I, I don't mind giving up from time to time certain things as long as I, I'm, I'm able to be in control and have things the way that I, I want them to go. He goes on to say in verse 11 that these wise men, they opened up their treasure chest and they gave gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh a sign of his humanity, a sign of his deity, and a sign of the sacrifice that Jesus himself would eventually become. And it was time to leave, and I don't want you to miss this in just a second. It said they returned to their own country by another route, talking about these wise men, for God warned them in a dream. Underline that. I don't know why that is, but this morning I just thought to myself, I want you to make note of that, and I'm going to show you why in just a second. It said they warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Okay? So after the wise men are gone, the angel comes and he appears to Joseph in a dream. Get up to flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And that night Joseph left Egypt with the child and Mary and his mother and they stayed there. They stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt, going back to the prophecy in Hosea chapter 11. And in 16, it says that Herod was furious. He was furious. When Herod was furious, when Herod was upset, when Herod was mad, people suffered. And people lost their lives. Look at what it goes on to say. When he realized that the wise men had outwitted him, Herod was usually the, the cunning one, but this time the wise men outwitted him. He did the unthinkable. It says that he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. And so we see that Herod sends out his soldiers not only to murder the innocent boys that were in there in that area, but anyone else that would try to interfere. And in verse 17, Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31. Matthew records it here that a cry was heard in Ramah. Weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Maybe you go back to the Old Testament story of Moses and remember how the baby boys were killed. 
here in New Testament, it would be Matthew reflecting on these children who would be killed. Rachel, the mother of Israel, she would be buried in Ramah, better known as the area there in Bethlehem. Rachel, if you remember, was the favorite wife of who? A man by the name of Jacob. Jacob was known as the father of the tribes of Israel. Joseph happened to be the firstborn of Rachel. Maybe you remember that story, whose brothers didn't like him because he was the favorite child of Jacob. They ended up didn't like him and despised him and hated him so much they threw him in a pit, but he would eventually rise and he would eventually be a savior to the people, the Israelite people, and he would rescue them during that time and feed them during the famine. So here Rachel was known as the mother of, of Israel. And it wasn't long after all of this that took place, all that was written that Herod himself would eventually die. History tells us that his physical condition got so bad that he wanted to take his own life, but a family member would, would find him in the middle of that and they would rescue him. And he would, they saved him, yet he would live out the rest of his life as short as it was, suffering. But before he would die, I've told you this before, he would pull all the influential people. He sent his soldiers out to, ga to gather the influential people within the community and he placed them in a prison. And the orders were given by the soldiers that when Herod were to, was to die, that they were to execute all of those influential people so that there would be weeping and mourning in the streets. But instead of following his orders after he died, the prisoners were released. And Matthew goes on to say there in verses 19 and 20, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared again here in a dream. Here's the word dream mentioned. The action of a dream taking place and an angel of the Lord speaking. Don't tell me God doesn't speak in dreams. And the angel said, get up. The angel said, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. And here we are 2,000 years later talking about this man by the name of Herod. Not because he's one of the main characters in the story but because that honor goes to a young baby who was born in Bethlehem, a baby by the name of Jesus who would eventually grow up to give his life as a sacrifice, not just for them then, but to give his life as a sacrifice for us now. Herod accomplished an awful lot during his lifetime, and yet his legacy, it was tainted because of his selfishness because of his earthly desires. And inside of this story, there's a story for every one of us here. Inside of this story, we can identify with the characters that are here. And so here we are, 80 years after Herod had passed away, and John sitting down with a pen in his hand, and he's writing the words in his gospel that we read last week, that in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And that light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. And see, by the time when John was pinning these words, there was no Caesar. And when he's pinning these words, there was no Herod. And the words that John pinned and the details that, they, that he would give didn't come from secondhand stories, things that he learned down at the barber shop when he was hanging out or when he was having supper down at the local restaurant. That's not where his stories came from, but they were eyewitness from accounts from people like Mary, 
the mother of Jesus. And she would not only give him the details about the birth, about the appearance of the angels, but also the shepherds and the wise men. She would have also told him about the tensions and the fears that they had. And this is the same John that would have walked with Jesus, that would have sat by the fire and heard Jesus tell the stories of what had taken place. This is the same John that would have experienced the miracles. This is the same John that would have saw Jesus crucified. He would have saw him buried as well as the empty tomb itself. And now it's the same John looking back as an old man and he's writing in all the things that he had seen, in all the things that he'd experienced, he's reflecting on those experiences and he's writing it all down because he wants to make sure that the generations to follow would know what had taken place. Are you with me? Don't tell me that what we experience and what God does among us isn't important for the generations that follow. Don't tell me that you not sharing, that, that you not sharing the story of Jesus and what God has done in your life isn't important to the legacy that you leave behind to your children. Coming to church is one thing. Having a personal experience with God is a totally different thing. Y'all are quiet this morning. You should say amen. We should be able to share freely the stories of what we've seen and what we've experienced. I bet there are multiple stories in this room of what God has done in people's lives. Why are you holding on to that? Why do you choose to hold on to those things that God has done? Why do we choose to rob our kids from the experiences of the blessings of God and what has taken place? And John would write, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And he would pause and he would move from the past to the present, from who, from what was to what is. And he would send a very clear message, and we cannot miss this. There is a light that shines in the darkness. And if there was anyone that would have known what darkness was light, it would have been John. And even in the, John, even in the darkness, John would declare his confidence in Christ by finishing up with this statement, and the darkness has not overcome it. John had seen it. John had experienced it. He had felt the weariness of his heart. Yet John knew that he had a reason to rejoice, just as we do. Amen? Closing up today, can I ask you a question? What's the position of your heart towards Jesus? What's the position of your heart towards Jesus? Is it one of rebellion and resistance like King Herod, or is it one of humility and trust? Do you find yourself resisting and rebelling against God, or have you chosen to seek after him just like the wise men did? See, if you happen to be here listening to my voice today and you're running from God, there's good news. There's good news, and the good news is this, you can't outrun him. Look to the person next to you and say, you can't outrun him. <laughs> Todd, you can't outrun him. David, you can't outrun him. You can't outrun him, Wayne. Mike, you can't outrun him. You can't outrun him. 
You just can't outrun him. The most important decision we'll ever make in life is when we stop. Is when we stop, we quit running, and we turn to Jesus. But then again, there may be some of you at one time walked really confidently with God, but now you find yourself with questions and doubts because of the circumstance you're facing. Let me just say this. Why in the world do we think at some point in time that the faith that we profess will not be tested? Your faith will be tested. And it's in that moment of testing that, that what we truly believe will be exposed. And so Matthew recorded that when the wise men came face to face with Jesus, they bowed down and worshiped. And that's exactly what happens when we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus. And our response will be no different. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Christ the King. Would you bow your heads with me? What's the posture of your heart today? We have another reason to rejoice. And that's because the invitation to follow Jesus is still open. And there may be some of you today that have never committed your life to Christ. And I just have to ask you, and I say this all the time, I don't want it to be redundant, but what is it that keeps you from making the most important decision of your life? Today, if you don't know Jesus, you have the ability right there where you are to profess him as Lord. To profess him as Lord, to recognize your sin, to understand that the baby born would eventually give his life and he would give his life for you as a sacrifice for your sin so that you could not live under the bondage of sin any longer, but so that you could be free from that. Jesus died so that we might live. And today, if you've never made that decision right there where you are, you have the ability to pray a prayer, something along this line. Jesus, I have made a mess of my life and I recognize my sin. I understand that my sin separates me from you. But today, Jesus, I want to give my life to you. I, 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 want, to, I want to confess my sin. I want to place my faith in you. And Jesus, today, I want to trust you. I want to trust you. No more a heart of rebellion or resistance, but today I want to come to you in humility, surrender, and trust. And if that's you today, with your heads bowed, but you just raise your hand, that's me. And today I want to give my life to Christ, anyone in this room. For those of you that are in this room today, there may be some of you that are dealing and you're, you're questioning, you're questioning your faith. There's doubts that have come about as a result of certain things that you're experiencing. I, I just want you to know you will experience difficulties. You will experience testings of your, your faith. But it's in that time those things that you believe will be exposed. They'll come to the surface. God is who he says he is. I promise you that. God's word is true and he'll do exactly what he says he'll do. And in those moments when you feel all alone, I promise you this, God has not left you, but he's there. He doesn't run from you, people. 
doesn't run, but he willingly stands there with his arms open wide, waiting, ready to embrace us all. I want to pray for us and then that after the prayer, if you're here today and you've made that decision to trust Jesus, as you're walking out those doors, instead of walking out those doors, come see me up front. I would love to talk to you about what a personal relationship with Jesus is all about. For those of you that may be struggling today, I, I, pr I pray for you that you would not go through that, that struggle alone but you would, and you would not isolate yourself, but you would surround yourself with people who will lift your arms during that time and support you and pray not only with you, but not only for you, but with you. We need that community. It's important. Jesus, I, I pray this morning for those that may be at that place of making a decision to trust you. May they be bold and confident in sharing that decision with someone else this morning. For those of us in this room or listening to my voice that may be wrestling and questing and dealing with the issues of our faith because of the circumstances we're in, Father, help us to, to, to hold on and to not isolate by Father, to surround ourselves, to let others know what we're experiencing so that we can provide encouragement, we can receive the encouragement um, and love from others that may be walking through some of the similar issues. Help us to be mindful that during this season that if, of all the things that are taking place, that Lord, we have a reason to rejoice. That in the weariness, there is a reason for us to rejoice. And one of those reasons is that there was a baby that was born was a baby that was born who would be the savior of the world. Help us not to lose sight of that. And we can rejoice because the invitation to follow him is still open. Father, remind us this week to be attentive to those that are around us and the opportunities we have to tell the story of Jesus, our experiences and how we've come to know him personally and experience him personally. Thank you for the privilege of this church family. Help us to be mindful to continue to pray for those that are in Israel and struggling around our world where there are not only rumors of wars, but there are worlds, wars, wars and battles that are taking place. Help us to be mindful of those that have lost loved ones and at this Christmas season that can be so difficult. Help us to be mindful of those around us that are struggling with issues that we can't solve. But Father, we can be there and point them to the one who can. Thank you for this church family. Help us to be your ambassadors to this world. And for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering, we commit it to you. Lord, whatever it is that's giving, it would be given for your glory. Thank you for the reading of your word today and your presence in this place. In Jesus' name we pray.